back to another episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen. I'm Georgia Simmons, your host and founder of Greedy Vegan. This week I'm joined by Jeremy May, co-founder of the canned wine brand Nice. They are that vibrant pink brand that you keep seeing everywhere. This episode is fascinating and Nice are really on such an exciting journey with what they are doing. If you are doing dry jan, I apologize in advance if this is making you really fancy a nice, pardon the pun, crisp glass of wine. If you never saw yourself as a canned wine kind of consumer, this may change your mind. Jeremy May, co-founder of Nice Wine, previously worked at Proper Corn. So he really is a food and beverage connoisseur when it comes to challenger food and drink brands. In this episode, Jeremy and I discuss the canned wine movement, the name nice, because let's be honest, no one wants to be described as nice, but nice wine is just different and we get to hear why. We talk a lot about wine and how they got to their three varieties of wine. And lastly, their wine for whenever mantra. So go and get yourself a nice glass of wine. Again, I've got to stop saying the word nice and enjoy the episode. So Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk all things nice. Well, thanks for having me. So before we start, do you mind giving a little elevator pitch on who you are and what you do? So yeah, my name's Jeremy. I'm one of the co-founders of Nice. I started the business in 2019 with my business partner, Lucy. Um, Nice, we describe ourselves as a future wine company. Uh, We want to essentially reinvent a category that for a long time has been really obsessed with the past. Uh, We want to make wine more approachable, less intimidating, and we do that through packaging innovation, liquid innovation, and actually brand behaviour that goes against the trend of how wine brands tend to behave. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to get on to more of that in a minute. But before we do, Mm -hmm. we have a tradition which is a quick fire about food. Okay. So, sweet or savoury? Sweet. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? Juicy burger. Crisps or popcorn? Popcorn. You kind of have to say that, actually. Yeah, but it's true. Um, Ice cream or sorbet? Ooh, that's a tricky one. I would say ice cream, but it's close. Cook in or eat out? Eat out. And what's your favourite delivery? Recently, it's been Oaxaca. Oh, is that Mexican? Mexican, yeah. Yes. I've really got into a bit of Oaxaca recently. I've heard that Um, this has been good. Other than that, I do like a good pastor evangelist as well these days. Yeah, Mm. both good They come a long way. Yeah, they've done yeah. well. Good, two good ones there. So in 2019, mm-hmm. Nice launched, and I would say not only have you launched a product, but you've kind of started a bit of a movement with producing wine in a can. So can you talk a bit about why wine in a can, firstly? And secondly, how changing this movement or starting this movement has been? Yeah. Um it's funny, I'd love to tell you we had this uh, you know, light bulb moment um, about how we came up with this and how we were the true innovators of canned wine. Um, but actually, it's a, it's a really different story to that. Um, myself and my business partner have both been in the food and drink industry for between us sort of 10 years before starting Nice. Um, and at the time, we were both freelance consulting, so we were helping other businesses get off the ground, really. Um, and Lucy and I, um, it was only the third time we'd met, but we, we said to each other, this is all well and good, but I think we would have um, all the experience and wherewithal to start our own business. So let's keep our ear to the ground for what trends are coming from America, maybe what brands might wanna, we want, might want to partner with to bring to the UK and Europe. But we didn't get that far because 
within a week, Lucy had stumbled across a brand of canned wine from America. And um, she personally became completely obsessed with it from a consumer perspective. Um, her father had been in the wine in industry, so she somewhat had it in her blood. But she saw herself especially as someone who knew she liked wine, uh, but that felt that brands on the market didn't really speak to her. And certainly for the occasions she wanted to be drinking wine, um, that there weren't products or brands that really lent themselves well to that. So she just immediately thought, wow, what an awesome idea to combine two things that have been around a long time, a can and wine, um, and, and bring them to market. And so she then sort of uh, put a little pitch together, called me and said, I think I've, ha I think I've got the idea. Let's, um, you know, let's talk about it. I then looked at it much more from a sort of market fit perspective. So um, similarly, I've always been someone who uh, I know I like wine, but like so many people I speak to, when I'm in a restaurant and the wine menu comes, I'm completely intimidated by it. I don't know, I don't recognise any of the chateaus or wineries or brands really. Um, and often, especially at that time, half of the grapes I wouldn't even have recognised. And so I didn't know what the markers were. Hey guys, just a quick one. If like wine, you don't really know what you like, but you really want to try new things in the plant-based space check out our discovery box where every month or however often you want it we can deliver you a box of delicious and nutritious vegan products to try check it out on the greedy vegan website and let me know what you think um so i, I really believed in that i saw what was happening in adjacent categories i saw um the craft beer had premiumized the can you know uh, 10 years before that when I was drinking um, beer out of cans at house parties you know warm beer like it was seen as this just low quality um, product all of a sudden craft beer just made it cool and so no one was asking that question about how it's going to taste and what have you um, so yeah we saw this opportunity that um, especially the moment or the occasion of on-the-go consumption for wine just wasn't being served um, properly you know, plastic bottles with a tiny little, you know, that look like wine bottles. No one drinks out of them. Um, so then if you're buying that in a train station, you're also having to look for another plastic glass. And it was just like, what are we doing? The only reason it looks like that is so that it's identifiable as wine. And so we had the idea, we talked to a few friends and family about it. There was some nods, some head shaking. The best thing we ever did though, was we went to, um, we got a meeting with the Sainsbury's buyer. So before we ever had um, any branding, any product, no name, nothing. We just had the idea. We went to meet the Sainsbury's buyer, told them everything that we thought about it. They agreed and they said, look, if you do everything you say you're gonna do, build uh, a brand that's a little bit like Innocent, Proper Corn, Vitacoco, etc. Good quality wine at a mass market appeal price, like we would want to partner with you. So that was like all we needed to get going really. That, I mean, that is huge. Yeah, it's cool. It's really great because like, the can world has changed so much. I mean, I'm thinking about like water, for example, because mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to my mind when you have a can is like, it's going to be fizzy. Mm -hmm. But then obviously like you've got still water in there. Like yeah. it really has completely developed and changed. And for you guys, how was it trying to, did you feel like you needed to, to like persuade the customer to trust the can process or was the kind of movement happening around you at the same time? Yeah, we weren't first to market with canned wine in the UK. Like, at, you know, we had the idea in the end of 2017 and it was, you know, just over a year before, you know, between having the idea and bringing it to market. And um, and there was another brand that, that launched into the market and they were sparkling actually. And so um, we, to, 
to answer your question around, you know, to what extent did we feel like we had to convince people of certain things? Um, I think we always look at this from the perspective of um, our brand, our packaging, the price point, all those things need to be good enough that people buy our product once or interesting enough that people buy it once. Then the liquid has to be good enough that people keep coming back to buy it again and again. And so um, one of the things we knew is that people's um, assumption of canned wine is that it's probably going to be low quality. That, that's what had always been the case with canned alcohol before that. So traditionalists are going to have that um, predisposition to expect that. So um, I guess what we did is we went about building a brand that was completely different to wine brands on the market. And we made sure that it was really good quality liquid at a, at a price point that people were willing to try. Um, it's funny you talk about the, the sparkling versus still thing because we did we did loads of testing on this before we committed. Um, we did some like consumer groups and focus groups and things. And we were literally, we had a soda stream, we were like gassing up wine, we were trying it from the can, trying it from uh, glasses and things. And what we felt was um, that expectation of a, of a uh, canned product to be sparkling we could see the argument for that, but we could also see the argument that on the, you know, if you take total wine consumption, especially for the everyday occasion, I think still wine is still 97% of all wine consumed for the everyday occasion is still versus sparkling. So we felt like we were bowing to um, you know, former expectation instead of thinking um, with a you know, forward looking view, what, you know, what wine do people actually wanna drink on the go? It's also why we chose grape varietals that are really um, the opposite of polarizing. You know, um, we tried Chardonnay out of a can; it tasted really good. We had a really good Chardonnay option, but we know that Chardonnay is some some people love Chardonnay and some people absolutely hate it. We couldn't really take that risk. We wanted to make sure we had, you know, a really drinkable everyday wine that was also um, completely identifiable by its grape name. If that makes sense, mm. and that, that might sound stupid, but we also did some polling where um, we were asking people, you know, the most basic questions. So what colour wine is Sauvignon Blanc? What colour wine is Cabernet Sauvignon? Well, you, you'd be surprised to see that people uh, who see the word Cabernet Sauvignon associate it with white wine, even though it's a red wine, because of Sauvignon Blanc. And so yeah. even stuff like that, like we wanted to really take it back to the Commodore Garden wine consumer. Like, let's make it really simple for them. Let's signpost this in a certain way. So. Yeah, you can imagine like thinking about all those things and trying to bring it together. This is what we ended up with, and and we're you know we're really happy with what we did. Definitely. I mean, I'm going to touch on product a bit later because it is really interesting. Mm. I mean, I know I struggle when I'm making like curated boxes for greedy vegan. Like, what I might find as an essential might not be everyone's essential. So the amount of testing that you'd have to do to find that kind of this is the wine generally for the everyday situation for the everyday person. It is quite a lot of kind of. You've got to kind of strip back to the basics. Um, so yeah, we'll touch on that in a minute. But I want to kind of go back to what you mentioned about brand and the name Nice. Because yeah. as you mentioned, like branding is like the key thing that pe makes people pick it up off the shelf and then taste comes second. Yeah. Um, the name Nice, if I kind of said to my mum, oh, like, you look nice, she'd be like, oh. So yeah. why the word, I personally think it's like an amazing name, <clears throat> but why Nice? Really good question. So we, we worked with an amazing um, set of creatives to, to come up with the, um, the business, the strategy, um, what the aesthetic would look like, the tone of voice, all these things. And actually, 
a lot of that stuff came together really easily. You know, we know what, exactly what we wanted to be. Probably the hardest thing we found was the naming process. So we, we knew all of that stuff, but the final thing we had to decide was what is the name going to be? And actually, we uh, the process was we set up this WhatsApp group with um, the three people from our branding agency, myself and Lucy. We had a week where um, all you could do in that group was suggest names. No feedback, no judgment, there's no wrong answers. I would literally sit there, if I was here right now, I'd be looking at things and I'd just say wall, you know, brick. Like, no wrong answers, just throw everything in the mix. Mm. Um, and we had a meeting after it and they had pulled out the best ones and why it might work and we were just like, these are all shit. None of these are good. <laughs> yeah. um, and we sat there for an hour and we were like really bummed out. We didn't know what we were going to do. And then we were trying to sort of um, imagine this like uh, this moment of uh, conviviality and you know cheers or toast or something like that. And then we were saying like, what what is it like? What what is our you know what is this product going to be? And then one of the creators just said, it's just nice, isn't it? Like it's just nice wine. And there was there was this slight light bulb moment um, because what was perfect about it, and it took a bit of discussing. What was perfect about it is it sort of had uh, kind of two connotations as far as we were concerned. Um, the first is, you know, I talk about trying to make wine more approachable, less intimidating. Um, historically, the wine world has come up with like a thousand different ways to describe wine. Chateau this, vintage that, leg, you know, all, mm. these, um, all these ways you talk about um, the experience of drinking wine that is completely different to how you would describe anything else. And I just find that absolutely insane. That it's like learned behaviour. And yeah. one of the things I loved is if you if I if you just ask the question like what's that wine like? Just trust me. Just it's nice. And I I see your point that um, no one would really want to be described as nice. But in a weird way, that also worked quite well for us because we wanted to take away the pretense. Like we wanted to be really everyday. Um, then the other thing that was great about it. So. It, I felt like it described the brand and the liquid quite well. Um, the other thing that was great about it is, and especially at that time, um, it, it's evolved a little bit now, but our, um, our sort of tagline or strapline back then was um, nice, it's wine for the good times, the bad times and everything in between. Like we really wanted, to, and, and then we said it's wine for whenever. We mm. really wanted to move away from this um, like brand creation world where everything is aspirational only and we wanted to be really open and like real about the fact that like sometimes people drink wine um, to celebrate a pay rise sometimes people drink wine because they've just been dumped and mm. like both of those things are okay um, and so we felt like nice was a perfect um, thing for that because you can say like got a pay rise today nice just got dumped nice so true right? so it's sort of interchangeable and that just felt like something that we could really get behind yeah. the other thing I guess I always knew is that um, brand names are what you are what you make them mm. so if I think about all my favourite brands the, the word itself has no meaning other than that business that brand has created meaning for me from it yeah. so Apple you know Nike added all these things the word make, means you know means absolutely nothing until you associate it to everything you've experienced from that brand so I knew we would get there but actually finding it was quite tricky yeah definitely it's so true and actually when you were speaking about 
drinking wine in the way you describe it I was kind of just when you were speaking thinking about my own personal experiences drinking wine and like I'd probably go into a restaurant and someone would be like oh what do you want and I always would say oh I don't know I don't know because I don't know but I do know what's nice and yeah. I would say that word. Yeah, yeah. And also, I'd, I'd drink a, a good sip of wine, and I'd be like, oh, that's nice. And I actually would describe wine as nice. So actually, it makes perfect sense. That, that's exactly the thing. So I always got it that um, there are, you know, we were always taught as kids, weren't we, that you need to broaden your vocabulary beyond nice. Like, if you use nice in your English homework, they're going to say, try again. Use a word that is more expansive than that. Mm. But for this, it actually works so well. And you'd be surprised. Yeah just how many people use the word nice all the time yeah like, uh, often people you know if you're saying something people will nod along and say oh nice 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 and then they're like oh, they try and stop themselves because they're like this is getting ridiculous so I'm just repeating true. your branding to you over and over again it's so true but i think when it comes to like fashion or clothing or appearance there's so many other words to describe it yeah. and food you've got like yummy and like tasty and yeah. but when it comes to wine yeah they're, they're like you mentioned the fancy words but it's also really nice. And yeah, like, exactly, it's yeah. just, that's it. So the, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The other thing that was really good about it, and again, we probably um, lent into this more, you know, this wasn't um, part of the thinking behind the name, but as we've evolved as a company and as a business, we, um, we, nice isn't just about a product. It's like a way of life almost, if that makes sense. So, you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as being a nice business to work for, uh, to work with for suppliers and customers um, that we're even nice about our competition like we have an internal business rule that we would never trash talk the competition and um, partly because it's like wasted energy it's a bit like hating you know your ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend just because he's the new boyfriend right yeah but also it's just like not really a good look to be wasting you know negative energy um, and so that that all forms part of like what nice is all about like doing things the nice way being nice yeah no so true yeah. I love it and it does stand out so yeah. I mean yeah that's so great and now I want to go on to kind of again consumers I mean I know we touched on this before we started recording about consumers trying nice for the first time and have you found there's been a growth in the acceptance of like wine and can type thing yeah. because we mentioned kind of how you guys are now on airlines and on like Virgin and all that kind of stuff and yeah, have, how have you, what have you done? Have you used your brand maybe in a way to kind of entice people to do take that leap? Or yeah, what else have you done to try and encourage it? Yes, it's a really good question. And it's it's been like an attritional process. So it, definitely not one thing that we did that's, that made that happen. Um, but there's a few things that I, I think have been really material to, to that, um, that point. So um, the first is the Sainsbury's listing you know, that we won right at the beginning was amazing because it meant that we immediately had nationwide distribution. You know, we were on shelves in, to begin with, over 600 stores all across the country. Um, but like, that's, the, honestly, that's the easy bit. Like, the job now is how do we get people to change their behaviours? Um, and however, either they bought wine before in a different format or they didn't buy wine at all because no brand spoke to them within that space. And so... Then um, a combination of, um, you know, traditional marketing tactics, um, but then also uh, marketing through distribution. And I would argue that still our number one um, asset from a marketing perspective is our distribution. So um, you mentioned airlines, you know, we won our first airline, Virgin Atlantic, about this time last year. Um, that was already two and a half years into our, you know, journey. Um, 
what we've done is like um, incrementally grown the amount of places that we're available at. Often those would be um, places where we would call it sort of a captive audience consumer. So an airline is the perfect example of that because they literally have no other option on board if they want to wine. But if you take things like festivals, you know, the can of wine was perfect for a festival because they didn't want plastic on site. They're not allowed glass on site. So if you want to serve wine at a festival, really cans are like by far your best option. So we just thought, well, let's just go after that in a really big way. People who are having a good time, you know, in those moments where they're most happy, um, order a Sauvignon Blanc, turns up in a can, and we surprise and delight them with the quality. That's, if you imagine that on, you know, every single different channel we can find. So we're now the uh, wine for uh, on Wagamama. So any Deliveroo order that goes to Wagamama, if you want wine, it will be nice. It's the same thing again. It's like, okay, well, now I've seen it. I saw it at the same breeze. I may not have picked it up the first time, but now I've seen it at the Premier League football ground or on the airline or at the festival or, um, you know, on Deliveroo and all these other places. What that's done is it's legitimized canned wine. So there are still people who have never even heard of or seen canned wine before, but we're like in a journey of showing it to them in this place and this place and this place. And eventually someone will try it for the first time. We won't convert them all to lifelong consumers. But what we have been really good at is um, we have the perfect storm in Sainsbury's where we are really good at recruiting new shoppers to use sort of uh, an industry term. So what that means is um, we, uh, some consumers uh, that we have that buy nice in Sainsbury's would have otherwise bought um, wine already. So they're just going to change the packaging or change the liquid they're buying. Other um, consumers wouldn't have bought nice at all. So we see about 60% of our sales in Sainsbury's go to consumers who didn't buy wine before. So for Sainsbury's, that's the dream because they're like, well, we, we couldn't get that consumer before, but now we have your brand here. They're buying into this category. And then the other good thing we have is we have really, really good loyalty. So um, we're really good at people getting people to buy it the first time, but actually still the majority of all sales we do in Sainsbury's go to consumers who have bought us 12 times or more. So the beauty of that is, um, and Sainsbury's is the best marker for this because we get all the, the store data. Um, in the last year, year on year, we haven't had any increase in distribution in Sainsbury's, but we've sold almost 80% more wine than we sold last year in the last, uh, this year. So what that means oh. is like literally we, nothing's changed but people are buying us 80% more times. So that's sort of testament to this, like people getting used to it and getting on board with it. Definitely. That is amazing yeah. and great to have that data as well. And like, yeah, I good. think why I would buy wine nice from Sainsbury's, because I was kind of just thinking, well, if I'm going to the supermarket, I'd want to buy a bottle because it would go further because yeah. then I'd have it with friends. But then I was thinking, if you live in a flat on your own and you buy a bottle of wine, mm. you have then got to drink that bottle of wine yeah i mean hopefully not yeah, yeah exactly. all right away. neither are good outcomes no yeah like hopefully not on the same night yeah, yeah. but if you buy nice you then have it perfectly portioned yeah. you can just have a glass of wine at night and you've got it already done yeah so i do actually see the massive appeal for that yeah um but yeah no it's, it's amazing it's interesting you say that because um we we always knew that the can was the perfect answer to wine on the go so whether that's literally on the train or at picnic or at festival whatever it might be we knew that the can was like the perfect answer to that. I did always have this feeling that there was a like portion control element to it as well. So when we were seeing sales go so well in Sainsbury's, especially in the um, 
like not in the convenience stores. So in like the general supermarket where we don't sit in the fridge, for example, like people are buying that wine there to take home. They're not really buying it for on the go because they don't want a warm Sauvignon Blanc. And I was always con- uh, I was always surprised at how well we did in that situation. Then we the pandemic hit. So one year after we launched, COVID arrives, and um, we used to have a really small e-commerce business before that. And then suddenly on Amazon overnight, that April 2020, we went from doing virtually nothing online to we sold forty thousand pounds worth of cans in one month in April during lockdown. Wow. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. People are ordering our wine to their homes. So we started to like get in contact with some of these consumers and find out why they were doing that. And we just got all this feedback that um, people were either trying to limit the amount of wine they were, um, they were drinking or that the bottle didn't serve them well. You know, it might be a husband and wife, um, you know, who one likes red, one likes white. And so for a long time, they've compromised and sometimes they get white and sometimes they get red, but one is always compromising. Um, and we suddenly found that people were like, this is perfect. I have a red and my husband has the rosé and there we go. Yeah. So th- that, that was really fascinating to us that we saw there are more occasions for this than just uh, on the go. Definitely, I'm that person. I go home, my dad likes red, my mum likes rosé and I'm the only white drinker. Yeah. So I end up either not really drinking much mm. Or opening a bottle and then having to kind of think now what? Exactly. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm the same. I, I would never buy a bottle of wine to have at home on my own. Like that's no. just not going to happen because, like as you said, I'm either going to um, open it, put it in the fridge, thinking I might have it tomorrow, not have it. Like barely be home for the next two days. And really, wine from a bottle is oxidising from about 24 hours to 36 hours after, so it's reducing in quality. So you do just end up throwing it away. Um, yeah. So yeah. No, it's, yeah, multi-purpose, this mm, can, exactly, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so touching on the pandemic, um, I actually wanted to talk to you about this because a lot of businesses suffered loads in the pandemic and I have no doubt you're going to explain to me some of the challenges. Yeah. However, I do feel like it slightly helped rather than hindered due to the socialising mm. in parks, um, on the go, kind of outside. And how, yeah, how did you find it and was that the case? So for our business... COVID was definitely a net negative for us on the whole. So we had, um, you know, I explained, we'd already launched with Sainsbury's and we, I think that by that time we already, already had an Ocado listing and maybe Whistle Stop. So we were sort of quite present in what we refer to as the off-trade, um, but we were just starting to get going in the on-trade, so the hospitality sector. And at just a couple of like specific examples, um, March 2020 when COVID hit we had just had our first order from Wimbledon Tennis for example so they placed a £50,000 order with us we produced all the wine and then suddenly Wimbledon's cancelled so that got taken away we were going to be working with lots of the jockey clubs for horse racing that all went away every single hospitality uh, sector you know um, customer was shut all of up last year we did 180 festivals in 2020 we had at least 100 planned none of them went ahead so yeah. like that was really hard for us because overnight we went from you know expecting to do uh you know a million two million cans to like oh my god we've got we were sitting on all these cans we've got had literal orders cancelled and everything we were expecting to happen has gone away that was like quite scary for those first couple of weeks um what was then amazing as i explained you know suddenly out of nowhere e-commerce just started to pick up for us just like it did for so many other businesses and um so 
whilst I say that COVID was a net negative for us, like it definitely was, um, we would have 100% preferred it not to have been the case, yeah. as should be the case, you know, the case for every human being on the planet. Um, but the one thing, it, the silver lining to it is the way I'd describe it, is it gave us the time and confidence to build an online business that would last long after COVID. Mm. So it gave us um, it gave us the confidence that people were willing to buy an on the go product to have at home. Like that was a really big milestone for us because I didn't necessarily believe it before, um, and because we weren't uh, you know um, busy working on all the other things, it gave us time to actually invest into building the online business. As I always use the um, explanation, you know, in those early days, you know it could be a full-time job to try and generate three, four, five thousand pounds worth of revenue per month on an online business. I could make one phone call to a festival and they'll buy 10 grand of wine from us. It was like, if I have choices to make, I know which choice I'm gonna make there. Yeah. The biggest thing it did is it gave us time and space to build an online business that was really robust and we still do about seven or eight percent of our total turnover. We probably sold a couple of hundred thousand cans in fact yeah probably a couple of hundred thousand maybe three hundred thousand cans online last year so mm. um yeah it, that was the difference for us I'd say yeah no that makes so much sense I guess you kind of forget about the whole hospitality thing and that oh, yeah. is a huge huge part yeah so yeah that makes a lot of sense so I now want to touch on the product because when I first came across nice I was like gosh wow like they've only got kind of like one white one rosé one mm. red like interesting like I wonder if people have asked them for other you know yeah. other variations and yeah. sometimes I was kind of thinking about it and I was like actually sometimes like less is more in a lot of sense like yeah. giving consumers too much choice is just more worth than it's worth yeah. and then it kind of made me think about you know like Freddie's flowers how you subscribe and you've got no idea what flowers you're going to get and yet people seem to love it mm -hmm. so how has this kind of like three wine fits all model worked and Obviously, you mentioned you did like lots of testing, but yeah, have you found that's just been like a really simple, easy, everyday like solution? Yeah, really good question. So you know, we did, as I explained, we did a lot of polling or a lot of uh, consumer testing in that in those early stages to to first of all understand, you know, almost on like a blind tasting level, which wines did people like most. So we got loads of different grape varietals, loads of different qualities, um, and like the the outcome of that was really really interesting. Firstly, nearly everyone, and we got a range of people who think they know their wine really well, all the way to, through to people who very openly don't know anything about it, and everything in between. And virtually no one could tell grape varietals apart. So that was really fascinating to start with. Um, the other thing is, to be completely open, is um, that the economies of scale, or sorry, that the sort of kinds of volumes you have to commit to when you're starting a business like this. As an example, to produce one can, you need to produce 100,000 cans. So in those early days, it was like, much as I would have loved to be able to launch, you know, um, a Chardonnay and a Sauvignon Blanc and a Malbec and a Merlot and whatever else it might be, we had to be quite narrow-minded when it came to, like, let, as, as you use the phrase, like, less is more. You know, let's do three wines really, really well and um, in the future, we can look at you know liquid innovation or we can look at varietal changes. But for the time being, we're not getting loads of demand. We're not getting loads of feedback from consumers saying, you know, great brand, but where's my Pinot Grigio? Yeah. So we, we stayed really committed to that. Um, 
And then what we started to do is try to cater for what we were seeing is um, both customer demand and consumer demand for um, wine that fits different occasions better. So, you know, we're a business that um, talked about wine traditionally being, or sorry, being um, an industry that's obsessed with the past for a long time, Mm. pairing with food all the time. We just think about wine as something that should be paired with moments and occasions. So what we were seeing is the feedback was more, you know, again, to use the example, people like the ability to have one glass at home. Um, Well, we also now serve bag and box wine because that serves the same purpose. If you have a bag and box on the side, you literally have wine on tap in your house. You can have as much or as little as you want and it's going to stay fresh for at least six weeks. So we were thinking about that. So we would rather innovate to suit people's lives a bit better than the sort of um, then bow to people's predispositions about what grapes they think they want. And again, I always use, I'm, I'm the perfect example of exactly this. If I, if I go into a restaurant and I get given the wine list, um, in the absence of any other sort of markers or knowledge or whatever, I'll tend to buy through nostalgia. So I'll, I'll see, I lived in South America for a year and I'll see an Argentinian wine normally a Malbec and I say oh, awesome I've been there I know I like Malbec I'm going to go for that it's in about the right price point what I know is that they could bring out a Merlot or a number of other wines probably and I would swill it around drink it and say I told you I love that Malbec and I think so many people are in that same position mm. and so yeah whilst um, we're not shutting um, the door to the idea of a new variants in the future and as we get bigger we'll almost certainly um, look to do that because um, yeah there are you know I mentioned it some people love Chardonnay some people hate it well if people love it let's find a great Chardonnay that we can bring to people um, yeah. beyond the whole we had to stay fairly committed to doing a few things really well yeah I was literally going to say that it's better to kind of keep it simple do yeah. it really really well get everyone loving the brand and like mm-hmm. really having your ambassadors there and your market there and then worry about the rest later but no that makes so much sense yeah but I love this kind of like wine for moments that matter type Mm. thing rather than wine with food because I I would always if I'm not having food probably go for like a gin tonic or like an Aperol or something like that whereas wine is also so great so who was kind of the the one behind that who why did you not think about pairing it with food rather than why did you prefer to pair it with moments I think it comes back to this um, ambition to um, to think about wine differently and and provide um, you know an option to people who aren't focused on all that stuff essentially. Um, so whilst it's still completely relevant and in some instances pairing a certain wine with a certain food makes total sense. We just wanted to sort of um, break the rules on that a little bit. One of the things we always talk about is um, finding the right balance of knowing when to break the rules and when to respect traditions. So we respect the traditions of winemaking, for example. So, you know, we want to make sure we're working all three wines that we um, that we have family run vineyards. Nearly all of them are like generational owned uh, from different families. And um, that's something that we're not going to compromise on. What we are happy to do is... Um, have a brand that speaks from a female tone of voice you know we're a female-led business 80% female team 45% female owned like we really buck the trend in the wine industry um, that's a rule we're willing to break we think it should be broken um, and that that's sort of where we you know that's where we landed on this as well it's like we don't want to be really prescriptive about telling people that you should have white wine with 
fish and that you should have you know a malbec with a nice steak completely could be true but i'd rather you think about having the red wine with your friends at dinner and the white wine you know on brighton pier and you might happen to be drink, uh, eating fish and chips you see what i mean so yeah i'd rather focus on the moment and let people work out what they want to eat their you know uh, what food they want to eat with their wine yeah no that makes so much sense and i i love it and also most people probably do have wine just on its own anyway i think it was just this yeah. kind of traditions kind it's of like it's, yeah. it's stuck but no no one's actually spoken about the fact they're mm. doing it differently yeah. but everyone kind of is doing it differently yeah that just got me thinking about something else that's worth saying now i think is that we um we we don't want to make an enemy of of um the status quo if that makes mm. sense so you know um we think that cans of wine are a better option than plastic bottles of wine, but we never trash talk the, you know, the glass bottle. As you mentioned, you know, if you were going to um, a friend's house for a, for a dinner party, the glass 75 seal bottle is like such a great thing. To, it's like a social thing to share together. Like, I love that. I would never, I would never um, trash talk that. The same is true here. It's like, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to judge someone who, uh, does want to think about which wine they're going to pair with their meal mm. I'm just not gonna force them into it basically yeah. yeah no so true I guess it's like kind of wine for everyone in mm. with whichever way they want that to be and exactly like, yeah with the way it's packaged branded and the way it is like you've just opened all those doors and just yeah. made it really free it's up to you look trust us we'll make sure it's good wine in good packaging yeah but you experience it how you want to experience it yeah yeah definitely so I want to slightly touch on the whole female-led business mm. side so, and it's a very kind of female brand with the pink and everything. I'm really interested in how that's being perceived by consumers. Do you know if your wine is consumed by more female than male? And yeah, do yeah, I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah, really good question. Um, one thing we've always been um, really kind of clear about, or we've done very purposefully, is that... Um, the way that our brand, you know, our brand aesthetic, the way we speak, we have a really clear kind of um, target audience who we want to to think about, who um, is, you know, basically consuming our aesthetic, our brand, our media, our tone of voice. But what we want to make sure is that we don't ex exclude anyone. Mm -hmm. And so um, what we know is that if you had to like personify the nice consumer, the average nice consumer, um, they they probably are still female, so but it might be more like 55, 45. Mm -hmm. um, age group might be more like mid to late 30s rather than mid to late 20s, for example. Um, where they live might be less, you know, uh, urban, central London type consumer. But what we, what we acknowledge is um, there is a sort of rule or theme in, in marketing and brand, which is that if you, if you aim at the 10%, the 90 will follow. So what you mm. can't, you can't, you can't have storytelling and messaging that is relevant to absolutely everyone on a spectrum. But if you're really devoted to sort of um, having a personality and behaving the way that you think is right, as long as you're not being exclusive of other people. And like, I've had some great examples where I'll be sitting on a train and I'll see, you know, uh, a 50 to 60 year old guy in his suit drinking a can on the way home. And then also a group of like uh, female students, for example, and like that to me is, is absolutely awesome. Um, mm. And it's sort of what we intended. 
so yeah, if I think about um, you know consumer demographic, um, it's still almost certainly majority female, but a much smaller majority than you would expect. Um, partly that's if, if you look in places like um, some of the data that we get from places like Sainsbury's, you'll see that um, from that we have more female consumers than not. But that's the same across the board for Sainsbury's. Mm. And that's because there is just a legacy scenario where um, women are predominantly doing shopping, for example. Yeah. And so like that happens across the board, whether it's water or whatever you might be buying, mm. it's completely sort of genderless, essentially. Um, and so we know that there is a, a, you know, more likely to be women consuming our products, but not to the same extent you'd imagine. And then yeah. the other thing to pick up on that you mentioned there is uh, millennial pink you know, is uh, it's definitely something we're proud of. You know, pink is our color. If you see my business partner's um, wardrobe, like every other thing is pink. You know, she wears bright colors all the time. Um, what we've wanted to, but we, we also, like the reason we're a pink brand more than anything is that um, our hero skew is our pale rosé. It's important for us when you're, um, when you have a product that can't be seen, that your packaging does the talking on what color your liquid is going to be, especially when it comes to rosé. You know, with um, white and red wine, people tend to order by style or by grape varietal. No one knows what grape varietal it comes to when it's rosé. All they care about is how, how pale it is. Yeah. And so um, that's the thing we we needed to evoke with that pink was just how pale our pale rosé is going to be. And it's a challenge we have because we, um, you know. Uh, we are a female-led, female tone of voice, female-run, female-owned business, but um, we don't want to um, have our pink colour be associated with us trying to be like a gendered brand, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. So, so true. It's, it's a difficult one, you know, it's a difficult line to you know, basically navigate, really. Yeah, it is really, it is challenging, and I can so, so see that. But then I was just kind of thinking about other brands, and two things to pick up on firstly joe and the juice mm. very pastel yeah. pink uh, i think they've got the kind of a yellowy color mm. purple so that's very similar and yeah. that's you know the name's joe it's very exactly. you wouldn't associated it with being female no, would you? Yeah. not at all and then also when females drink beer that's very male heavily male but they've exactly. had beer for, we wouldn't drink beer for years and years and years so yeah. that just kind of makes it doesn't yeah. It matters, but it, it kind of everyone's. I feel like we're in such an open time at the moment yeah. where a guy drinking a pink exactly. tin is Basically, great. Basically, nothing should be really be gendered, should it? Yeah. But what we did make a conscious decision about, and it's really interesting you, you pick up on that thing about beer brands, is um, on the whole, still to this day, nearly all beer brands, I think all beer brands pretty much, speak with a inferred male tone of voice. And probably rightly so, they're making the same assumption we are, which is that the majority of people drinking beer is still men, even if it's 51, 49. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, let's let's assume on the whole that more men are consuming not only our products, but also our communications and our media. So let's speak from a male tone of voice and speak to um, an assumed audience of mostly men. That's fine. Like that's it's probably right to do so because of the reasons we just explained. But for the same reason, it's right for us to have predominantly a female tone of voice and assume that the majority, even if it's a small majority of our consumers, 
are broadly women. So I think that's a really interesting thing to point up, uh, you know, pick up on is you don't feel um, ostracized by a beer brand that speaks to you sort of as if you're a man and from a male tone of voice. We're just doing the exact opposite. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It is really interesting when you like look mm. into it in like a deeper way. I, I sometimes find it like I've done a couple of podcasts like this um, without Lucy in the past. And I'm always very conscious to make sure um, that I'm not uh, being or portraying myself as like um, a bloke who runs a business who thinks he can, um, you know, basically leverage, you know, a female tone of voice and all these things. So I want to make it really clear that for a long time, I was the only guy in the business. I think up till we were 10 people. There's now two guys out of a team of 12. So yeah, Yeah. um, you know, we are legitimately a very female led, female run business. No, Um, it's great. It is amazing. So if you are allowed to share anything, Mm -hmm. what is next or what's coming soon for NICE? We've got a lot going on at the moment. Um, There's a few uh, sort of um, innovation projects that are uh, top secret at the moment. Yeah, of course. Um, But some that aren't, so I'll I'll tell you about those. Um, So from a packaging or or, or, um, product perspective, one of the things that we launched last year was um, Wine on Tap. So, you know, with this um, theme of wine for all occasions and wine for moments and... um, one of the things we felt was or found that um, our product works really well in the grocery world. Our product works really well on what we refer to as the sort of non-traditional on trade. So everything from um, festivals to music venues to stadiums and all these things. Um, what we didn't feel like we had a good solution for was the traditional on trade. So pubs, bars, restaurants. But when we were speaking to um, restaurant owners, pub owners, etc., um, and people who worked in those places, that they still have lots of pain points. Um, the biggest example of this I would give is when you walk into a pub, um, let's say you don't know what you want to order. You walk into a pub, and for the first time you're thinking, right, what am I going to get now? And you have all these amazing beer brands right in your face on the bar front. Um, if you look past those, you don't want a beer, then the next thing you're going to see is all the great spirits brands along the back. So you're going to think, oh, maybe I will have a gin and tonic or maybe I'll have a vodka and whatever. And um, wine is such an afterthought in pubs. It sits in, um, sits in fridges behind the bar underneath. If you want to walk in and have a look what they, what they have there, you can't see what they have. And so always ends up happening is if you have already decided you do want wine, there's not really normally a menu there. So you're probably going to say, um, I'd like a glass of white wine. And then you say, what would you like? And go, the house. And that is literally the classic thing. Like you're playing wine roulette. You're deferring your decision-making to um, to whoever's worked on the wine list to work out which is their house wine. What we want to do is we want to offer that consumer an option. The same consumer who still doesn't really know quite what they want but they know that they trust that brand that they've seen before in other places. Then what we're also doing with that is we're offering the venue itself um, a solution for a lot of their pain points. So one of those is um, pubs and bars get a lot of wastage with wine, same as what we were talking about earlier. They might have five or six different white wines and if they open a Pinot Grigio one day um, and it's not used for a couple more days, like it's gonna get thrown away. Mm. So they have loads of wastage from that. The other thing they have a challenge with is disposing of glass bottles is um, time consuming and costly. So what we've done is we've 
essentially created wine on tap, which means we have these 20 litre um, key kegs and um, it means you've got literally wine on tap. It's much better for speed of service. So we trialed that or soft launched it in 2022 and 2023 is going to be the year where we go really far and wide with that. So that's exciting. That is really exciting. I can yeah. just imagine because like next to the beer or yeah. you have like three nice logos exactly, and it's just yeah. like, it's really got, cool. that would be epic. And yeah. I think it's so, I had never thought about that again because again, I'm not the biggest wine drinker because mm. again, I'd probably just have a glass and then I could never want a glass because I've got the whole bottle, which is mm. where the nice cans come in. But when I go to a pub, I would, I'd be that person. What exactly. do you want? Uh, house. Sure, really, and then yeah. you're like, oh, what am I going to get? I know. You just don't know. It feels intimidating, doesn't it? And that's yeah. what we're trying to um, get rid of. It Again, it's trying to say like, um, trust us to have done the wine choices or make the wine choices so you don't have to. If you want a nice wine, we picked you a nice wine. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Oh, yeah, I love so it. Cool. It's so exciting. Yeah. So we always finish, I mean, I can't believe it's gone so quickly, but we always finish with another tradition, again, about food. So could you please share what would be your last meal? My last meal? Yeah, I want starter, main course, okay. dessert, and maybe a nice in there as well. Yeah. Um, this is really on the spot. So no, it's no, it's fine. I, I think I know the answer. Okay, so I've okay. had to do this kind of thing before. In fact, I've got a good story about this. Um, I remember when I when I, I used to work at Propercorn, and mm -hmm. um, when I first joined there, um, they used to ask people... What was your what was their favorite meal? And I just thought it was a question of like you know to get to know someone's personality because they might send it out an email. You know, this is Jeremy. He used to work here. His favorite food is this, and his favorite whatever, and his favorite flavor of popcorn might be. And so I, I wrote my favorite thing at the time, and I'm probably going to use it now is um, black cod. So like <gasps> Nobu black cod is the absolute yeah. you know pinnacle of food for me. But what I hadn't realized is what their intention was. They were about to get a chef into the, into the office full time and then on people's birthdays they were intending to make their food and I thought god now I feel like a right idiot oh <laughs> team of 20 black cod please Can you, that'd be amazing, <laughs> would amazing yeah. that'd be they so probably would have done it they were, yeah. they were really generous so, that is amazing yeah. um, so anyway to, to come up with my answer for that I think that I'm going to have to have some sort of prawns in there okay prawns are my favourite food I would say yeah I know nice. this is a, um, you know uh, I should be focus more on no, veganism no honestly but it's your last meal you can yeah, exactly, do what yeah, you right. want at this point so I think I would probably have like a tapas prawns in garlic sauce with some bread to start yeah that's nice um, I think I'm probably going to go for the black cod yeah um, for my main course and then for dessert I would this isn't gonna it doesn't sound like it's gonna go well with this meal Again, but it's okay. as a child I just loved my nan's rice pudding so I would go Ooh, for a nice rice pudding yeah good one and I would wash it all down with a, a nice Argentinian Malbec because it's my favorite of our yeah three. okay that's great yeah. Jeremy thank you so much for coming on I mean I see you guys everywhere and I mean your branding's incredible I see you on Instagram LinkedIn all the social channels all the time you guys are doing an epic job and I cannot wait to go into a pub and like have a nice glass on, of on nice tap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on tap which is really exciting so yeah. yeah amazing and thank you so much for coming on thank you very much for having me thank you guys so much for listening and I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did I'm wondering if you guys could do me a favor I'm really excited about what's coming up for catch-ups in my kitchen but in order for it to reach a wider audience, it would be amazing if you guys could just follow and subscribe and tell your friends about one of your favorite episodes. It really does make such a difference and it would mean so much to me. Thanks again and see you next week.